0: You're listening to the Names Not Numbers podcast, the annual Ideas Festival produced by Editorial Intelligence.
1: The digital conversation covering advertising and media, chaired by Peter Bale of CNN.
2: I want to start with questions to you, and I do want to make this very interactive, and I, I promise I can't really be as good as Damien Barr was last night, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I am a child of the 80s, but uh, that doesn't unfortunately mean that I was born in the 80s. Um, <laughs> who in this room believes that they respond to advertising? Excellent, some honest people in the room. <laughs> who in this room acknowledges unknowingly clicking on an online advertisement? knowingly clicking on an online advertisement. Okay, so click-through ratios are far higher than we think (laughs) they are. Okay, so we're here to talk about advertising in its broadest sense, the conversation around advertising. Advertising is inherently one of the largest businesses in the world. It's $500 billion spent on advertising. The internet last year passed newspapers as being the second largest uh, market for advertising. And in the last eight years, the Internet's gone from 5% to 20% of advertising budgets. So television is dominant still, but advertising is fast coming up. So these are some themes that I want to address with the team. And also, let's be be clear about what is in that 20% on the Internet. 82% of Google's revenue comes from online advertising. So not from the self-driving cars, not from, from Google Glass, but from advertising. Um, So I couldn't imagine a better team to do this with. The theme that Julia's given us is everything together, the digital conversation that matters. And few of the conversations that matter are more important than the commercially-driven advertising conversations. So we'll also be looking at how advertising supports the war correspondence that we've just seen, the media that we described yesterday, and a a whole lot more besides. The other thing that Julia asked us to deal with, I think, in in names, not numbers, was this issue of uh, individuality in a mass age. And so we'll be looking at things like the extraordinary ability of the Internet to to, to, to address advertising messages en masse, but then perhaps it's also equally extraordinary ability to really zero in on who we are, what we are, and where we are. So on this panel, I've got three senior executives from the uh, UK and international advertising business. They're all dreading, particularly Tamara, that I'm going to embarrass them, which is nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I've got what I think of as a hard-nosed advertising person, uh, a public relations person, uh, and a publishing uh, and advertising executive who's really seen all all sides of the world. So on my far right is Tamara Ingram, who runs Grey Advertising, uh, inside the world's largest advertising company, WPP, soon to theoretically become the second largest uh, advertising company uh, before they do their, do their next acquisition. Now, I, I consider tomorrow to be the brains behind Sir Martin Sorrell, um, which is going to make her vomit immediately. But one of the things that she does is run the Procter & Gamble account there. That is the products that you have in your hair and under your sink. Pantene, Fairy, Gillette. You know, so she is in your life, in your face every day of the year. <laughs> um, previously, she's headed UK agencies Saatchi, McCann, and Grey, and as I say, she is she is the woman, other than Martin Sorrell's mum, who uh, he listens to most, I would say. Um, Denise Kaufman in the middle is a veteran of another arm of the advertising industry. I think it's good to acknowledge that it's an arm of the advertising industry because it um, hides itself in other places. Uh, and, and her firm is Ketchum, which is owned by Publicis oh, Omnicom or Publicis. I can't remember. It's about to be owned by Publicis, Omnicom or Omnicom Publicis. What are we calling it? P-O Pog. or O-P? Pog. Pog. That's right, Pog. <laughs> Which is the coming together of the of the second and third largest advertising industries and in uh, businesses in the world to rival WPP? They're all trying to do what Martin's already done. Really. We'll, we'll address that. But um, uh, P- 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 PR in that area is a very uh, many journalists think of it as liars for hire, and we'll be addressing that that aspect of the integrity of PR, um, which is not an oxymoron. Um, Stevie Spring, you have uh, a pretty extraordinary background. Uh, TVAM. Uh, which, which uh, every, everybody will recall who's, who's a child of the 80s, um, former chief executive of Future Publishing, uh, one of the most innovative magazine and online publishers of the last couple of decades. Uh, she was the MD of y which, uh, like all of these advertising firms, they're PPK&P, and, P, and um, you know this would be a pretty extraordinary combination of your initials as well. Um, she's worked at Clear Channel, uh, Live Nation, and now she's the chairman of Children in Needs, so she knows how to address... An audience of 10 million uh, in one hit and and do good. So I'm going to ask you each each of you the same question and go from the right from Tamara for this one. Is it is it even possible to have a conversation with an advertiser, or are you just always thinking about a sales opportunity?
1: Um, The first thing I would say is people really want conversations with people. And uh, I think it's very arrogant for brands to think people want conversations with them. However, it is fair to say that I think the new world presents us enormous opportunities for people to interact with brands and for brands to change. I think brands need to get out of their bottles, as I would say, and, and offer some services. So I think what's very interesting is what the net has done is it's changed us from a brand talking to people, I think we heard a lot about this this morning, to actually much more listening. There's much more demand for integrity and authenticity and clarity about what a brand stands for because they're on so many platforms across the globe that being very clear about what we are becomes very important. Denise?
3: I think for us, um, in, in in the discipline of PR, it's always been about conversation and engagement. Um, you know, when we are looking at at what traditionally is earned media, it's really going after and targeting very carefully the influencers, people that we can um, bring in as advocates, whether it's for a brand, for a company, for a cause. Um, I think in PR, we've always really had that that place to start from. And so the digital expansion really enables us to, to engage a lot more closely with, with our constituents, Thanks or constituents on, on behalf of our our. Clients. Stevie,
2: can, can a conversation with an advertiser by a consumer ever, ever be more than one way?
3: Yes,
0: I think that broaden the, the issue of advertiser. Advertiser is not just a product in a bottle, it's a service, it's a government, it's an NGO. I think people do want to engage. They do want to be heard. They now have the ability to do that, even though uh, I agree with Tamara, 95% of conversations happen offline, not online. And uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful stat from WARC, uh, the World Advertising Research, uh, that says that you know, 0.5% of brand fans interact in any one week with a brand. But, uh, but I think people do want to interact and people do need to listen. And those brands that do, particularly service brands, Ronan Dunn at O2 does an hour a night going through Twitter, which is the equivalent of walking the sales floor as a retailer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important part of the dialogue. So it's listening. listening. So the brands listen now. But there is also a very important part of peer-to-peer conversation, because people want to talk about brands, about the products that they We'll come back to that,
2: if that's right, talk about brands. How do I talk to Pantene? Why would I talk to Pantene to shampoo?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. You're not going to. Well, you might be interested in their products and talk about them to hope that they change and improve, and that's why brands have to be listening. I think what shampoos or brands have to do, and we saw it very effectively with Dove, is they have to present something which is a purpose, which links into what people feel, in order that people can have a relationship. So in a sense, brands, as I'll go back to, have to go beyond just the product and the benefit they sell. They have to give people a reason to want to purchase and be part of, if you like, be part of the Pantene community.
2: But are there some, so do I want to be part of the Japan 10 community in the way that I might want no, to be part to of the share, iPad community? You want
1: to share the values of a brand. Because brands have always been not just about the product, they've been about the values. <coughs> and, and, and nauseatingly, we all have to admit, they've been about certain brand, about badge values that we may have bought into or not. And,
2: um, Denise, one of the things that you'd said before was earned media. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this is an audience not of necessarily industry pretens- uh, pr- uh, yep. uh, professionals. Can you just describe what the difference between earned and bought media is? Because I, I, I think some people here will sure. be slightly surprised that you regard their consumption of <laughs> it media is as a, it is. Se-
3: it is, in essence, I'm selling a story uh, to, to a journalist because of the merits of the story rather than actually purchasing the space. It, it's getting an influencer, getting a reporter, getting even a, a consumer interested enough and passionate enough about the topic at hand, whether it's a brand or it's an issue or it's a cause, to, to talk about it.
2: Great. So I'd like maybe some of you to pick up on this a little bit later because I think, that, I think the essence of what, what Denise has just said is that there are discreet messages and everything that you're consuming that she is responsible for. and Maybe some of the journalists would be quite good to come back to that. Now, Stevie, you would, you would add up your, this everything that they've said, I suspect, and everything you did, say, actually, this is also a force for good. You get the children need message out, you get, we get the various charity messages out. I talked to a guy from Mencap last night, he was saying he wants to re- re-identify, reposition his brand. It's, it's not just about moving shampoo.
0: No, it's about selling ideas as well as product and services, framing the conversation, and differentiating in real terms by bringing out what makes products and services different. Mm-hmm. Why me?
2: And how does it work for a charity? Why, why I give money to children in need instead of ringing up VSO?
0: Well, I don't think it's instead of, I think it's and-and. People, people are extraordinarily generous and they mm-hmm. give when they're asked. Uh, and I think a classic example of that was the Philippines' uh, appeal in the same week, week as the children in need appeal mm-hmm. last year, and, and, not, and, or. Uh, and I think the value of the communication is, one, I haven't got a lot of time, so I have to trust who I'm giving my money to to get it to the best place in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. And I need to understand and leverage some of the messages about making the issues real.
2: So, Denise, one of the things that uh, MT, who was going to be on this panel, uh, <laughs> made a point of was that it wasn't so much a conversation as a conversation. Do you think we're all complicit in that? Do we do we see the the evidence and the? and the breadcrumbs of this or, or is it all discreet and hidden and
3: no i think i actually disagree with that i think that, that what we see is real engagement when people are passionate about an issue or a brand i don't think you know i think what has been a very difficult transition for many of our clients is this idea of ceding control of those messages mm. of that brand because now there's there's no room for it you can't control it Every, everybody that's responding is contributing to, to the story. It's contributing to, to the positioning. It's contributing to, to what this brand becomes or what this company does and how it acts. I think, I think what's happened is that it, it's made, certainly PR and, and issues management, crisis management, more transparent than it's ever been mm-hmm. before. And, and you know, I think it's a good thing. I think it's, it's forced companies to, to, to really respond.
2: So interesting on the crisis management side, what about the, the seeding of what is, what is advertising material? So for example, the, the Ellen DeGeneres <coughs> selfie uh, mm-hmm. which from the, from the Oscars, the wider, most widely circulated photograph ever, uh, turns, on Twitter, turns out to be really delivered by Samsung. Is that a win for them, and were we complicit in that, or do we feel actually we've just been duped, or does it not really matter? Uh, Tomorrow. Fa-
1: First of all, I think jump in. Um, I'm going to jump in. Actually, I, I did think that was a little bit disappointing <laughs> because I love to believe in the integrity of Ellen. Because I don't know if anyone wants a show, but I adore her, and also she's one of the spokesmen for our brands. Um, <laughs> however, um, <laughs> which clearly isn't Samson. Uh, but that being said, I, I, I think a bit like what we talked about democracy earlier this uh, this morning. I think people are very clever and very savvy. I think young people are very clever and very savvy. We all know what's going on, and we have options to buy into or not buy into it. Yeah. So um, I think, actually, it, the new world presents an opportunity to get brands where people want them much closer to them in their hands and wherever they're open to messaging. Mm-hmm.
3: I think there's an... Um, I, I do means- think... I'm not sure... I, I mean, I do think that you should be... Um, we should disclose yeah. certainly um, but i do think that there is an element that it's the content that matters to people mm-hmm. it's not the sponsorship i think there's an entertainment element to how people share information and i think that that brands that get it right kind of they tap into that the fact that, that people are not so concerned where it comes from but that it's that it's a message they respond to so
2: it's old fashioned to think that that might have been better if it had said brought to you by samsung
3: yeah. yeah i mean
2: or even had a samsung hashtag in it perhaps When it was sent. Yeah.
1: I mean, just one thing I would say if people feel cheated. Right? If people feel that they believe something to be one thing and it comes from another... And by the way, everyone will find everything out. Yeah. And that's why integrity and authenticity is vital now, And whatever business you're in. Um, that's when it will put people off brands. So um, I don't think everyone was so surprised about the Samsung or even the pizzas. Though, sadly, I thought they were really not sponsored. <laughs> <by> <laughs> despite being in the business. But um, I think that's what you have to watch out. And as people who are concerned about brands or democracies... NGOs being really authentic and true and honest is very important.
2: Yes. Yeah, one of the things that struck me in talking to these guys on the way up is that a 1957 book called The Hidden Persuaders keeps coming out in their dialogue. And you know, all of us are far too young to, to have been out when it was, when it was uh, released. I just looked it up this morning. It's, pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Um,
1: uh, 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 <laughs>
2: And it's, and it's still described as one of the best books around for demystifying the deliberately mysterious arts of advertising. So we all know about advertising now because of Don Draper. <laughs> now, you know, why, is, why is this hidden persuaders idea so seductive? Is it because you in the industry actually like the idea of being somewhat seductive, somewhat a bit
1: cleverer than the rest of us? I, I- I actually don't think advertising is hidden at all. I think great (laughs) advertising, which I adore and passionate about, actually is just like Ruby Wax. Uh, And and great art, by the way. You know, Ruby Wax described it as a cough. I describe it as, ooh, ah. Because that's the magic of an idea, isn't it? You get engaged, and then there's a real surprise. There's nothing hidden in that. And actually, most of the conversations, by the way, take place online, 72% of them from offline, from seeing these wonderful works of art. So I think there's nothing. In and people get more engaged with the better the idea is. Stevie, who are Kentonar. are Kentonar,
0: I agree wholeheartedly with tomorrow. I think that it's very overt, it's very public by definition.
1: Yeah. It's out there.
2: Kentena is one of your guys, isn't he? Doesn't he do L'Oreal? is
1: okay. he a L'Oreal? He does, man? he's not one of mine. And nor does he play for my football team either.
2: So, thinking about the challenges of advertising in an internet age, What is is the point of commissioning a creative agency, commissioning an advertising agency, commissioning a PR agency when I can get infinite, perfectly targeted advertising at almost zero cost from Google and Facebook?
0: Stevie. Well, first of all, I think that uh, you're right to raise the issue of tight targeting, direct, action-oriented, from background brand advertising. Mm -hmm. You know, Don Draper, Mad Men mass men on the other side, cookies tightly targeting. I think that we have to be very careful of two things. Uh, One, confusing the opportunity to see with the danger of actually being seen and influenced. You
2: mean we have to make the the brands, the brands aren't successful unless they're actually seen. It's wasted money.
0: Well, I I can, if I'm Katy Perry, I can tweet out 48 million tweets. It doesn't mean anybody's gonna read them or notice them or act on them. But
2: there might be more of them than will see me in GQ.
0: But the the key to me on brand advertising is the power of wastage, Mm -hmm. which you lose in that tight targeting. And the power of wastage is that for a brand to be a brand, it has to mean something beyond its user group. Mm -hmm. There is no point in me driving around in my sexy little Fiat 500 if you don't know that that means I'm smart and chic and... I, I, you don't need to idea. drive a
2: Fiat 500 for me to <laughs> the
1: Can I go?
0: Um, but I think the wastage is part of that. And but you I think do need to wear Prada. The sorry, oh, whatever. Sorry. The, um, <laughs> I, I think also the value of post-purchase. Yeah. I've just purchased. You know, somebody has recommended. I've responded to an advert. I've bought new mm. tyres. Mm, they grip nicely. When I see an advert after the event, it reinforces my choice. But,
2: uh, Tamara, isn't this just the Rolling Stones? Can't get no satisfaction? Wears the same... Smokes the same cigarettes as me? All that crap? I mean, this is is 40-year-old stuff, isn't it? Or is it it that that recipe still works?
1: Uh, uh, So I want to go back... Yeah, of course it works. I want to mention what you said about Shakespeare. I'm very passionate about Shakespeare. Um, Shakespeare is marvellous and still... I think, helps us so much in in, in thinking about life versus those women, because it was great work right? Uh, and both try to do the same thing. So why, why do you need to go to an a- advertising agency or an expert, wherever it is, is because it produces great work and great drama that creates connections with brands. Now, what we do with them, I think, is much more interesting. I mean, it's a very exciting age, mm-hmm. just like in the age of democracy, because we can t- take those brands and we can really understand what people mm-hmm. want, we can adapt them, and we can change them. We don't just have to do it digitally. I don't know if anyone knows the Coke example. I thought this wonderful personalization in the, in the real world is where coke actually gave put people's names on the cans they started this in australia so if you're called Mm. tamara i doubt they had a tamara one but if you're called jane or sally whatever you could choose you could buy your own coke can so personalization that we're seeing on the on the internet is also affecting how we deal with the offline it'll affect how we deal with health it will affect how we deal with drugs so i think actually getting the branding right Uh, is is the most important thing, and that's why you still need experts.
0: And compare that
1: to the, I think it
0: was the 2011 experiment when Pepsi went 100% online, Mm -hmm. social media only, abandoned mainstream brand advertising,
3: share went down 5% immediately.
2: Dennis, do you want to come in on this about about either, either whether these messages can be done in a physical world or?
3: I think they should be. I mean, I think the power comes from the integration. Yeah. So people don't live their entire lives online, no. and they, you know, that the more that there's amplification of a single brand promise or a single brand message, is where the power comes from. Okay. I think when you look at it, you know, from a from a slightly different angle. So we're looking at it as as PR and how do you influence? How do you create a, a, a An atmosphere or an environment where, where people, in the the case of a brand, are comfortable coming out to advocate for that brand.
2: Tomorrow, tomorrow, I just want to. We've had a a couple of conversations in this about falling in love with brands. So, uh, I have a belief that we're in an era where people are prepared to ascribe human and love type attributes (laughs) to brands, and I'm thinking particularly of Apple. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that you would say. That that's a result of very effective product manufacture and very effective advertising, and that in fact it was always thus, and that there's no difference between that and loving the 1970s ads from Volkswagen. Is that right, or is it something shifted?
1: No, I I, I think it's always thus. I don't want I sh- we can't exaggerate People love of brands, by the way, but I think it is always thus... We can't exaggerate uh, what? <laughs> people we love over-exaggerate <laughs> people's love of brands versus love of people. But anyway, it is always thus, and, and I think it's some of the discussion we had, why is it that people actually love certain brands? And I, was, I think it's actually a, a disruption often in technology or in answering a particular need. So I'm going to bring up an odd brand that I think people really love, which is Fairy Liquid. Now you might ask one other... Which company makes Fairy well, Liquid, that's why I'm it up. Uh, <laughs> why, 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 of course, do people... People love this brand. It's because when it was invented, when people used to wash, it literally ruined their hands. It was this caustic soda. Yeah. It was terrible for women. Okay, so hands that do dishes, which were soft as can be—exactly, Margreeth. It actually <laughs> answered a huge need, and that's why 70% of the population still buy that brand because it has some love. So we may think it's a new thing and great technology. It's actually answering real needs, that real problem for people, and change their lives in some way. Good pitch. <laughs>
0: I think what has changed, because advertisers have always targeted opinion formers. I want to get the guy in the pub who knows a bit about technology, he's the guy who's going to be telling his mates that this is the new product, it's going to be fabulous. Those opinion formers now have access to an audience and have become more important, as have detractors. Okay. So we have to target that. And, and, and actually so it's the same old stuff,
2: but we have to listen more.
0: We have, to, we have to take that into account because I have access to an audience. Mm-hmm. So if I am an yeah, advocate... But the audience has
2: access to you now. Exactly, the, the detractors
0: right? do as well, yeah. both ways.
2: So there's an area here that you, you've both raised that um, may have been a secret to the audience, but the three of you are women. And, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and I've, and I've wow. pointedly not referred to that until now. I haven't described you as three women advertising executives or three women in advertising. What about the role of advertising and its attitudes to women, the way it portrays women. So two different attitudes here. How, do, how are women portrayed in advertising itself, and then perhaps is an industry? You are three exemplars that women can rise to the top in advertising that Don Draper is dead, but what is, what is the position oh, of women in advertising okay. right now? And uh, I think
1: customers? about this a lot, actually. I, I don't think the portrayal of women is... as marvellous as as it should be or about diversity or about what's changing in the world. And I think we take less leadership than we should. And I I try to answer the question, why is that so? And I think it's, it's the structure of the business and devastatingly I think someone's going to correct me and I don't know if I've got the right statistics about 12% of women are on FTSE 100 board is that about right has it gone up now Uh, I think it's less 2% of executives okay and I think it's less than that as creative directors and if you think creative directors in advertising agencies make these things that people relate to I think it's a real problem so that's presumably your fault not uh, it is entirely uh, <laughs> my fault. <laughs> right? I, 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 I think, think there is a responsibility along with it. Everyone else, yeah. we need to change the yeah. structure of what we do, and that's why I say I think very carefully about trying Thanks, to move tomorrow, that forward. I
0: think in terms of portrayal, there, there is a practical reason why you are telling a story in the shortest possible mm-hmm. uh, amount of time. You default to a stereotype because that... That is a shorthand. Okay. It tells a story, in, and I think there is self fulfilling prophecy. So it's okay prophecy to be sexist
2: because it's how we see them. No, no, no. I'm not.
0: I'm, I, I'm explaining it rather than condoning it. Okay.
2: Good. Thank you, Denise.
3: I th- you know, actually, it's it's a question that that I get asked a lot in terms of you know, you're a you're a woman and you're a you're a CEO, you're a leader. How, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of like, well, uh, I worked really hard and uh, I had some good ideas. And I think that you know, we put so much attention on, on the gender disparity um, that, that it, is, it, it is creating enough role models so that other women, younger women, see that it's possible. You know so you're not
2: pulling up the ladder, you're, you're trying to create more role models.
3: Absolutely.
0: Good. Special place in hell.
2: Excellent. <laughs> so I'd like to throw this over to the audience, having asked probably the most dangerous question I could possibly ask the three of you. Um, who here buys advertising? Matt, you might be interested in this. Please go ahead. Actually,
4: I've got just a brief observation. Uh, <clears throat> PR is not a subset of advertising. Yeah. Okay, so I, I run global communications. I start communications and one um, of the um, constant, healthy points of tension in our business is in marketing through brand teams and the corporate communications teams, our take on this is that advertising about is about presenting the truth as it should be, and we have to do the truth as it is. True. Uh, and we are forever, forever battling our colleagues in marketing and advertising to say, well, yeah. here's a mirror. Here's what the world really looks like. And
2: you have to be more grounded in the truth. Okay, so, let me, so you having cast an assertion here rather than asked a question, why, if, if that's the case, why is WPP including so many marketing companies and PR companies within its, within its spectrum of lowercase advertising because or and public? So, so
4: just a quick, quick observation on that, because it's changing very rapidly. Okay. and the, 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 the monolithic model that says you have the stuff that you buy and then the stuff that you earn and they're two different teams and two different parts of the building that no longer applies because
2: you need to be in the conversation is yeah, that right so
4: because that, that tension between the two leads to a much better outcome.
2: Okay. anybody want to come back to Matt on that
1: no, I totally, totally agree, agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all agree great. anybody else
4: <laughs> I don't buy the uh, digital conversation argument um, I'm in marketing In our industry, we find it ten times more difficult to find our target than we ever did before. And all this talk about Facebook is—I don't—I'd like someone to tell me with social marketing, uh, social sites and marketing, if any of them have ever had any success whatsoever. Because ironically, what we've discovered lately is because of the demise of physical print with newspapers. Um, that the best advertising for us, strangely enough, is outdoor marketing, where you can actually see it the <laughs> whole digital clutter. Everybody talks about it. Yeah.
2: I just think it's bullshit. Anybody wanna come back come yeah,
4: back yeah, to I, my on I'll come back to it. <laughs> I wanna come back to that. Okay. <laughs>
1: I think you're part right and part wrong, Harvey, okay? So where I think you're part right is you need very simple messages out there that people can hear and understand. But hold on. Out there, I mean... What does that mean? Sorry. Your poster, TV, very clear, that a mass audience can see. However, I do think there is a real value in taking those skills and putting them online where your punter is, and we know that we know where we can find out where our people okay, are and tomorrow. what they're interested in.
2: Yeah, and About five years ago, I was supposed to go around to Harvey's house and show him Twitter, and I wish I had now. <laughs> Sorry, there's a question up the end there, the, the guy with the glasses at the back. <laughs> I, I thought the, uh, when you referred to the COVID, uh, campaign... Sorry, it's uh,
1: Yeah. people holding the name where well, it I thought cleverly in terms of this topic about the digital
4: conversation I've never seen a product advertised so much by people on their Facebook and Facebook. because everyone took a photo of mm-hmm.
0: their own
2: that's the exactly yeah got my name. God,
4: it
1: that was that's so
2: spontaneous too, wasn't
1: it? Much <laughs> more. The interconnectivity, what happens outside to the product in store, to online, and to get people engaged, so they then send it out again. Yeah. We try to
3: make work that's great that people send people places. Denise? I, I think the thing that, that we try to remind clients of all the time is that when you're going after anything and when you're targeting anything it has to fit. I mean it's not a one size fits all solutions and I think the really important thing that we try to really embed in everything that we do are What are we measuring? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to get people to do something? Are we trying to get people to buy something? Are we trying to get people to react? And so I think going into a digital campaign or a a traditional campaign without those metrics um, doesn't make any sense. And I think with digital, it's it's come on so fast. We're not always doing that.
2: Okay, so just at the end of this, I have to uh, wrap it up because we started a bit late, but I did take the precaution of talking to a former editor of Adweek today uh, the angry man himself, Michael Wolf, and I said, "You know, what question would you like?" When, when with him, it's always a difficult, but being a question as opposed to an assertion. So,
1: his
2: his his question is: Advertising in its current form is finished. You can't hire talented people anymore. No one from a library league school in the U.S. will go into advertising. You're dead. The media companies have to. You're even deader than the media companies. And the media companies will realise mm. they don't need you, and nor do the brands.
0: May I answer that? (laughs) I think to say that media companies don't need advertising is like saying we don't need oxygen. Because throughout history, it's always been the same. You've got the cost of production and distribution in the media company. You've got the price people are prepared to pay for that. And if there is a gap, there are only three ways of filling it. Is, is it
2: the oxygen or the sucker fish on the bottom of the ship. No, shop?
0: the <laughs> oxygen, because you have to fill that gap, and there are only three ways of filling it, either with commercial revenues, de facto advertising, or with, in effect, the state, public sector, or vanity. And I think what's changed in this, and by vanity publishing, I mean either you blogging in your in your office or bedroom for free or the Scott Trust or whoever. But I think we've added a third (laughs) layer to that.
2: (laughs) You mean blogging in your bedroom is the Scott Trust?
0: (laughs) Blogging in your bedroom is you producing good... When Maryam Seagat tweets, she does it for free. Yeah. And I'm adding adding another layer to that at the moment, which is the VC community, who are subsidising, cash-burning competitors who are competing with the legitimate. And when you are looking at an organization or an organism, which is... Eric Smith um, did this wonderful, wonderful... Sorry. um, Sorry,
2: Sorry, go.
0: From the dawn of time to 2003, we're now producing that much content every 48 hours. For most
2: of us, 2003 was the dawn of time. Tamara? (laughs)
1: I actually think there is a huge talent issue everywhere for everyone, not just in the advertising business. And how do we get the right talent? How do we train for the right talent? We've heard this across. So I I am very concerned, by the way, uh, about talent. Is it dead? Of course, it isn't dead. Ridiculous nonsense. Doesn't even need. It doesn't. It's not worthy. We if it is, the media dead. But. <laughs> but I do think we do have a talent issue, and I think we should all be very mindful of that. And uh, I can't remember who said it on one of the panels yesterday. But let's employ one more young person. Yes, yeah. awesome. I was
3: exactly that. I think we have to rethink our idea of what advertising or PR talent is. I think the conversations are so different than when we were coming up in in the industry that we really need to think about what kind of talent are we bringing in and and diversify the backgrounds.
2: Thank you. Kane. I have two people who want to ask questions. Do I have a moment to get them to ask them? Um, Chris, you have to do it really quickly, please. And the gentleman at the back.
4: having a brand-to-brand conversation
1: with individuals. Any response to that, guys? I agree. I think that it, there has been the brandification of uh, everything. And, and that's why Harvey's worrying hugely about the clutter, which he's not wrong about. And the gentleman at the back? On
4: the subject In uh, the spotifying grammars of most internal communications to people
1: work are... It's such a stunning.
2: In- install Yammer in your workplace and everything will be fine. Uh, mm.
1: There is a lot of new <laughs> technology, by the way, coming out about how to deal with, uh, how to create communities and work mm. that enable rewards. Yes. For example, there's a, a company called, I think it's called My Rewards in America, where people can give each other points all around the world that can turn into money for thanking them for helping. Mm. So I think you're going to find that technology is going to enable deeper yeah. and more interesting conversations. And Marianne, one. just under the radar, quickly, please. Okay. Um, I just wanted to ask why so many ads are so lame? I mean, going so I mean right. you go to the cinema and you watch expensive ads, which are really <laughs> very bad indeed, and you just groan at them and then there'll be one very funny one. And you think if you're spending all that money, when would you go? I'd say celebrate the funny one, but go on tomorrow, <laughs> please. I think, unfortunately, I have to agree, which is so awful. This is my business. I mean, I think, why why aren't they always the perfect books? Why are so many dramas not as good as they should be? I mean, that's no excuse. I think part of it's to do with we're in an austerity culture and that people are less brave, like in the conversation. No one used the word leadership today, which really disturbed me about editors. People are less brave about being leading and having a point of view. And the great brand work that we all love has a point of view. Stevie, what about... Yeah, what, but not about, just humour. could be a point of view, could be emotional. This isn't a dialogue about any, What about sorry.
2: creativity, Stevie?
0: <laughs> I think the, the, the essence of creativity I come back to, it's the danger of being seen or the opportunity of being seen, and creativity is the difference.
2: Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm sorry we have run out of time.
0: This podcast was produced by Sarah Peters for Editorial Intelligence. With thanks to Vodafone, FT Weekend, CNN, GQ
1: and all the partners and participants who made and make Names not Numbers possible. Thank you for listening.